Welcome to O'Reilly Bots. I'm John Bruner. And I'm Pete Skamrock. This is episode five of our new pop-up podcast series about software that uses AI to converse in human terms. Now, most of the examples we've talked about so far use a conversational interface, either an IM interface like Slack or Facebook Messenger, or a voice interface like the Amazon Echo. But our guest today has built a series of bots that use a far more prosaic kind of interface, mostly letters to bureaucracies. Before we get to that, a quick reminder that O'Reilly Bot Day is coming up on October 19th in San Francisco. If you're building bots or thinking about building bots or thinking about strategy for deploying bots, you'll want to be there. We're going to talk about the underlying technology and the commercial strategy. For more information on O'Reilly Bot Day, visit O'Reilly.com slash bots. Our guest today is Joshua Browder. He's a student at Stanford University, but is most notably the creator of Do Not Pay, which is a series of bots that help users navigate bureaucracy. Welcome, Joshua. Thank you for having me. Now, if you've been following bots, you've probably seen these. Uh, The first of the Do Not Pay bots challenged parking tickets, and now they do a handful of other things, including, most recently, aiding in finding homeless assistance. So, uh, Joshua, how did you how did you get into this? How did you see the opportunity for a bot that could challenge parking tickets? Well, um, it's actually quite embarrassing. When I turned eighteen, which is the driving age in the UK, I got a large number of parking tickets myself. Admittedly, I wasn't the best driver, <laughs> and um, out of necessity, because I didn't have the money to pay for these tickets, I became this sort of local parking expert and managed to get my own tickets dismissed. And it wasn't long before I was helping all my family and friends do the same. And I thought (laughs) rather than helping everyone individually, it would be such a cool side project to create a bot to do it for them. And I could never have imagined like the kind of response I would get um, after I did that. So, um, but this, this must mean that the process of challenging a parking ticket is, is highly sort of routine, right? Or, or very much just a, a, a kind of form process. Absolutely. I think there are these sort of 15 top reasons why these tickets are dismissed across the world. And um, all the bot has to do is find the reason, take down details, and then generate a complaint with the reason in mind. And then the ticket usually gets dismissed. So, um, and uh, let's quickly go through the other the other bots that you've built. What are the other services that, that do not pay can address? So currently, it can help you claim if your flight is delayed to and from the EU. It can also help if you're homeless, um, claim the government right to housing in the UK. It can help you challenge the banks in the UK if you've been overcharged on certain products. And it can also help advise you on general legal questions like um, speeding. Do any of these um, services entail kind of an API that an agency has made available? Or, Or are you basically creating an API for the services? Uh, creating an API. And uh, it's really, um, the government is so incompetent in a lot of these areas that they would never even think to use an API or make one available. So often it's web scraping, or even just um, do not pay completely interacting with the website itself. Hmm. This brings to mind a a question I had around, uh, we had a section on bots that fight the man and we featured uh, your do not pay bot for parking tickets on that. Uh, and it reminds me of um, uh, like Tim O'Reilly does a lot of work um, around trying to help in the US at least government 
agencies and and websites improve and the way especially the way that you know citizens deal with those sites um and so it seems like both dealing with uh you know healthcare or even like credit agencies things like that there's a lot of hoops that humans have to go through to get simple things done um and i mean do you think some of this is intentional or is it <laughs> things have just evolved this way and now we need to write a second system to talk to the existing bad system well i think it's a combination of things i think on the one hand um, there's a huge um, economic incentive for governments to make it as hard as possible to challenge tickets in new york they make around 800 million dollars off parking tickets alone wow but i also think that governments are incredibly incompetent for example i had someone phone me up from the uk government just last week um asking for advice about because they're thinking about uh, their own bot um to help people with in, with the small claims court and i said that's such a great idea when is it coming out and he said well in the next 3 months we need to draft the proposal and i think <laughs> that just shows how things slowly things move in government um it's not necessarily individuals fault it's more the system is broken well i, I think it's a good sign that they actually are even asking yeah <laughs> about absolutely. doing it yeah i mean i I think these things often involve, you know, well-meaning kind of director level uh bureaucrats who see the need for something uh, you know, that might be helpful to users, but then it it gets bogged down in the procurement process. And and you kind of see the result in websites that uh are well-intentioned but but extraordinarily poorly executed because you realize that they someone had to specify the website down to the last uh word and that's a difficult way to build a website as as anyone who you know, tries to do waterfall uh, web development can can tell you. Yeah, this brings to mind another interesting thing. Um, so, I guess my my next question would be around why is a why why a bot um, and why you think that took off. It's interesting. My my initial thoughts on this would be that you have a lot of situations in government where uh, a lot of forms are there to be filled out. Uh, for example enrolling in the US in San Francisco enrolling your kid in school they have several meetings and sessions and you know where you have to go and uh learn how the process works to <laughs> fill out basically a form right um and so do you think like it, are you fighting the form basically yes and i think it's um about the language people use i think there are a million ways to say that the parking bay was too small people i think are surprisingly inarticulate about describing their legal issue So huh. the great thing about a bot is it can translate all the different ways to say um something into the legally sound way and that's ultimately the way that gets a ticket dismissed. That's consistent with a with an idea around bots that we've been talking about a lot on this podcast and and elsewhere that bots are kind of a way to translate between messy unstructured human language and the kinds of structured data that uh, that computers demand. Yeah, I completely agree. So could could you walk us through kind of what happens when um when someone files a a challenge through do not pay how does it how does it take their complaint and then what does it do with it exactly sure so the first question it asks is um which jurisdiction are you in currently it works for the whole of the UK New York City and Seattle once it knows where you are it asks uh, jurisdiction specific questions for example it would say was the parking bay too small or were the signs too hard to read Mm-hmm. and then it goes down the decision tree to find the best possible defense for your ticket and then once it knows that defense it takes down details such as the road name uh, how much the ticket was the ticket number things like that and then places these tickets into these details into a generic challenge letter 
which can be sent directly um, to the local authorities. In the US, it requires you to actually send the letter yourself, but in the UK, in some areas, it will actually send it automatically using a sort of API, more web scraping. Mm-hmm. And it will actually use other APIs, such as the Google Street View API in relation to signs, um, to hmm. add evidence if you need it. Wow. So it'll, it'll enclose an image of the, of the street where the parking infraction took place. Exactly. And it finds that automatically for you. What seed data did you use? Uh, it sounds like there's a set of very common excuses so, uh, or, or complaints. <laughs> where, where did you get that data? Um, in the UK, we have this. I think there's a similar thing in the US called the Freedom of Information Act. And mm-hmm. um, thousands of documents are available relating to parking disputes. And so I kind of um, got them all together and looked for the 15 top reasons why these tickets are dismissed. Hmm. Cool. So there's actually some real uh, data science uh, underlying the intelligence in the bot here. Yes. Um, I, I'm no data scientist, but I try to be metho- methodological um, with the data. And what are the, what are, what is the number one excuse? Signage. Um, okay. There are issues with contradictory signs, no signs at all, or they're covered by trees, um, things like that. And I think councils do it deliberately in the UK to make it as hard as possible. So is the bot doing any, um, you know, natural language processing or, or what you would call AI, or is it basically prompting people to fill out a form that it then translates back into natural language and, and sends in? Um, it's very simple NLP. And um, so the do not pay bot is built entirely on its own platform. This was before the days of chatbots becoming cool. Mm-hmm. And so I had to kind of build it from scratch. By which you mean like a, a year ago, right? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so um, it uses um, simple machine learning classification algorithms. And the reason I haven't done something like keyword-based chatbot, uh, a keyword-based chatbot is because since I'm expanding to so many services like homelessness mm-hmm. and um, bank charges, the bot will have to differentiate between very subtle differences. For example, if you say I was parking outside the bank and I was overcharged, the bot uh-huh. knows that you're talking about a parking ticket and not a... Um, overcharge with your bank. And that I don't think would be possible with keyword based uh, huh. chatbot. It's interesting. So you're, you're taking something which probably should be a structured API with a nice UX on the government site, but for various reasons isn't. And you're exposing a nice uh, chat based interface uh, to communicate with it. What do you think it would be possible to do what you're doing when there's a human on the other end? So what comes to mind when dealing with bureaucracy is, uh, you know, like calling about health insurance or something and you get routed to like 10 different people and navigating a call center. Do you think, uh, has that, is that something you've given thought to? Uh, it, it really has been. Um, there's this amazing new API which just came out a few weeks ago called Scale API. And it's like Amazon Mechanical Turk, but hmm. higher quality. And you can do all sorts of things on the back end. However, for me, the issue with that is it creates an underlying underlying variable cost. Whenever humans are involved, they have to be paid. And obviously, my service is free at the moment as a public service. So if I charged, um, if I had to pay people to do something on the back end, then I don't know how I would be able to recoup these costs. So, the, I mean, the, the irony of um, of this method is that probably the government agencies have a, a highly computerized system to receive these complaints at the other end, right? But the, but the only way that a computer can correspond with the government's computer is by 
translating uh, the complaint as an intermediate step into a letter and then having it translated back out on the government's end. Yes, and I think the government actually use employ a lot of um, people to actually look at these complaints. And the good thing is that they're obliged to take all complaints seriously, no matter where they've come from, because of the national laws, which are kind of separated mm -hmm. from um, how the councils make their policies. Yeah. So, so you're trying. I, I mean, if the government did have bots, you think it would be easier? Uh, would that be an easier way for them to receive what you're sending, or would you rather have an API? Either way, um, I know lots of big companies are investing in bots that speak to each other or an API. But really, at the moment, it's so inefficient. And so any solution I'll take. Yeah, the, the, um, we occasionally engage in this thought experiment where you imagine that everyone is running around with bots, but they wind up communicating with each other through, you know, an intermediate natural language step. So if, like if and, and um, Pete has pointed me toward a dialogue that someone published between um, two different sort of bot based personal assistants maybe x.ai and Clara or something like that. And, um, you know, each one is drawing from the structured data of someone's calendar and then translating the calendar into a written letter and sending it to the other one, which parses it back out, translates it into their owner's calendar uh, and back and forth and so on. And and that that is kind of a silly thing to consider. But I, I think the promise of bots is that they can be this kind of glue and provide computer interfaces to things that otherwise wouldn't have APIs. Absolutely. I mean, for example, if Do Not Pay were to interact with a translation bot that was reliable, then all of a sudden it could be available in a hundred languages. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. That's fascinating. It reminds me of, it's, it feels a little bit like Unix pipes, right? If we could start gluing these things together uh, yeah, in, yeah. In, in a way of programming by glue. <laughs> yeah. Bots as the shell scripts of the world. Yeah. Or bots, bots as the shell scripts of society. So, th so that's one example. Are there other bots that you would you think would be helpful in your mission? There are so many bots um, that some councils actually have released customer service bots, but they're very um, rudimentary. Um, to be honest, I've been really disappointed by the bots that have been released so far. Um, although there are some great ones that kind of draw people in. Um, lots have just been like e-commerce bots, which aren't really useful in the first place. So I was really excited when Facebook released their API, but mm -hmm. I've kind of been disappointed by what's come. I, I think some good things have come, but not enough. So you, you, you've gotten quite a bit of engagement. I mean, what, do you have any numbers that you can share about people using yours? Yes. So um, right now, I think we're at the 175,000 um, successful tickets appealed mark, which oh is really God. exciting for me. Wow. Uh, apart from that, we've had over 260,000 users. Um, obviously, some of them have been unsuccessful. And um, it's really exciting. P people who um, would never actually interact with a bot, because in the UK, nobody knows about bots. We're not really connected to the tech news mm -hmm. ecosystem. And so the fact that people from like Northern England are using bots for the first time is just really exciting for me. It's a terrific early example to, to see in a bot. Um, it's something that I worry about here in San Francisco is that um, people out here get tired of technologies before they even really get presented to the public. And you've already begun to see this with bots. A couple of months ago, went to a, a, a great bot gathering here called Botness, um, put on by a bunch of our friends. And some people there were like, bots are over. And then um, I talked to, you know, relatives in the rest of the country and I describe bots and they're like, you mean like robots like that manufacture cars? And I'm like, no, something completely different. Like the 
the rest of the world has not heard of these things yet. But uh, in Silicon Valley, everyone is certain that it's completely past. Yeah, and I think it's true with all emerging technologies. Like I was speaking to my mother today about how exciting VR is, and she has no idea what VR is. Uh And so uh I think there's this huge challenge with getting people to actually understand what something is before they can use it. So a a parking ticket is a fairly straightforward matter to challenge, and it's something that an individual would usually challenge on his own behalf. Um, But it's it's easy to imagine this kind of spreading to um, to other kinds of you know, bureaucratic engagements where you would usually hire a lawyer. Have you heard from uh, members of the legal profession about the bot? Yes. um, And it's actually been surprisingly positive. The um, American Bar Association posted a nice link to the bot. Hmm. Um, So many lawyers have reached out saying, I agree with your mission and I'm willing to help. Um, A few lawyers say that do not pay should be shut down for regulatory reasons. Hmm. But ultimately, I've had no problems with regulators themselves. And I think the reality is that over, as a remarkable statistic, over 80% of the people who need legal help can't afford it. So Mm -hmm. obviously, it would be great if everyone could have this personal assistance with a lawyer. But the reality is, I don't think people can afford it. So they need some intermediary to help them. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I remember, uh, I just looked this up. Uh, I tweeted out a quote last year at uh, the Next Economy Conference. So that's an O'Reilly conference on the future of work. And Sebastian Thrun, who's uh, most notably behind a lot of the progress in self-driving cars and Udacity, uh, he had a quote, uh, lawyers, truckers, and tax accountants will be replaced by machines. Right? <laughs> Grouping <laughs> so them together like his, that. His, thesis, his uh, controversial point was, uh, don't worry about software developers and other folks being replaced by machines. The, the next people will be lawyers, truckers, and tax accountants. So it sounds like you're ch- you're just not on schedule. You're knocking off the first one, right? <laughs> yeah, and I think um, these lawyers are charging hundreds of dollars for copying and pasting and going down a decision tree to find out what's wrong and then just copying and pasting a few documents. And I'm surprised it hasn't already happened. After the last recession in particular, uh, corporations began to, to cut back on the amount of money that they spend for their big law firms to do research and other kinds of back office functions. So those types of tasks have become transformed by software. And there's a lot of software that looks for precedents, looks for uh, similar instances in case law, and that has really cut down on the amount of kind of low level copying and pasting that that you mentioned. So I think a lot of lawyers are are worried that this kind of automation trend is creeping upwards. Uh, a few decades ago, automation meant eliminating um, manual labor, and then it came to mean eliminating very highly routinized kind of office labor. And uh, now it, it's it's beginning to replace um, labor that's highly routinized, but uh, maybe involves a little bit of discretion or, or decision making. And that describes, as you say, a really big percentage of what lawyers charge a lot of money for. Yeah. And even computer programmers, I mean, I'm using some A-B testing on my website. It's easy to imagine that um, the A-B testing becomes automated and the uh, computer chooses the best uh, outcome and programs get in. So even computer programmers, I think, in the longer term will get automated to some extent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you think about even copy on websites, right? So you can spend a lot of time uh, trying to get copy just right and then showing it to four or five people to get their feedback and and then putting it out or 
you can wire something together with an A-B test and dynamically evolve uh, the copy until you find the right right thing. And people do that somewhat manually now, um, at, uh, uh, but you can imagine with NLP, you could have a bot, a, a, a Don Draper bot that's generating <laughs> different taglines for you, right? That's, the I think, probably a bit, still a bit sci-fi and a bit far off uh, that we're going to have uh, a Don Draper in a box uh, writing doing doing actual creative writing work for us uh that may be a subject for another podcast <laughs> but um well like how far in the near term do you think this creeps up this has been positioned as a robot lawyer so like how much more of this routine work do you think there is uh to chip away at i think it's um almost unlimited um there are so many areas of the law that um, this can be done at and obviously i'm just one person so one of the things i'm really excited about is creating a platform so that any lawyer can kind of log into it create a bot um using do not pay for some legal aspect and then push it out and um in return they'll get a link back to their own law firm's website um and so i think at the moment it's just me doing it but if i can get a, this legal pa- platform up and running then it's almost unlimited how many areas of the law it can work in yeah, and there's a, probably a lot of things that are very obscure, and it's not even worth a lawyer's time to help someone. Um, and do you think a lo- there's a lot of people just trying to navigate these things themselves without a lawyer? Yes. And my favorite example was actually someone I spoke to yesterday who was concerned with the laws relating to a- applying for a medical, uh, medical marijuana license. Mm-hmm. And, I, and so he's going to be one of the first users of the legal platform to create a bot to do that. So you, you mentioned... Um the legal platform that that uh, your friend is developing a medical marijuana bot on top of. Are you developing a, a a platform that anyone can begin to develop sort of lawyer bots on top of? Yes, it will sort of be like Chat Fuel or Pandora bots, except for the law with custom features to help lawyers um, get their kind of legal knowledge into a bot. What sort of custom features do you need in order to to make it um, work with with legal bots? Just something very simple that helps them automate a document with a decision tree behind it. So not necessarily anything um, super custom, but just something that can appeal to them rather than coding a chat uh, fuel bot, which they wouldn't even know how to do. Mm-hmm. So, so the idea is to actually sort of put bot creation into the hands of someone who's not even necessarily technical, but someone who maybe understands the process. Yes, exactly. And then all these obscure errors, the law can be filled in. Interesting. What do you think the biggest hurdles to building something like that are? Uh, are there data? To, are there concerns from the lawyers about where the data is going or, or things like that? Privacy? Not really. I think the biggest concern is making it understandable. Um, I think all the current bot platforms are still kind of done in pseudocode. And although it's very easy for a coder to understand, and they would probably laugh at it being code, any sort of thing that looks like code scares everyone away. So I really want to make it drag and drop with a nice JavaScript interface. And to our listeners who are building bots and bot tools and the sorts of you know frameworks and foundational things that uh, go into building bots, are there any helpful services or tools that you would like to see from the bot community that would make your work easier? Um, I think that analytics really needs to be improved. Um, I, I, I currently have all my own analytics, but that would be something really easy to plug into an API and get really detailed um, analytics from someone else. And so just helping me understand kind of what's going on with do not pay would be really helpful. 
Hmm. Um, so uh, I, I want to hear a little bit more about you as well and kind of uh, what you're what you're up to. So you're a, an undergraduate at Stanford, right? Yes. And what, what are you studying? Um, I'm currently a rising sophomore, so I haven't declared yet, but I'm planning on computer science. Okay. So you're, did you get into this as someone who already understood how to code and understood kind of the, the possibility of uh, computing and in addressing these kinds of things? Or was this really your, your introduction to the, to the practice? Um, I've loved making um, iPhone apps since I was 12. And um, I started bots just last year, but I've been coding since a young age. Well, thanks for your work, Joshua. I think this is uh, going to go in some really interesting directions and really help uh, make a lot of people li- people's lives better. Thank you so much. Uh, Joshua Browder, where can people find you? Where can listeners find you if they want to learn more about your work and more about Do Not Pay? Uh, well, the website is donotpay.co.uk. And if you're interested in talking about bots or suggesting one, I'm jbrowder1 at Twitter. Excellent. And of course, we're looking forward to your talk at Bot Day on October 19th. I'm super excited. Terrific. Thank you so much, Joshua. So now we move on to Bot of the Week. This is where Pete and I talk about a particular bot or usually actually a group of bots in the last few episodes that are interesting in in some way. So this week, we're going to talk about a handful of really funny bots that Microsoft has released. Usually when you think of Microsoft, you don't think of, you know, off the walls kind of um, humorous little fragments of code, but they've uh, attracted a lot of attention through a handful of really interesting bots that they've released through the bot framework on Skype and and a few other platforms. Yeah, I think uh, it's actually been over the last couple of years, there's been a number of interesting bots coming out of Microsoft. Uh, and now they're investing more heavily in their own uh, bot platform, which actually distributes to platforms, uh, messenger platforms, both uh, built by Microsoft and other ones like Slack um, and Facebook. Uh, and they're putting up, they're building and putting up examples on uh, that you can run on Skype or on Slack uh, that are kind of fun and interesting. So several of these bots, including a couple that we're going to talk about today, have to do with images. So they have not only the kind of conversational AI that um, chats with you and says something funny, they'll also take an image and and modify it a little bit or take an image and recognize features of it and and comment on them. So there's some AI in the image side as well, and they're they're stitched together. Yeah, and I think the time that this really first got on my radar in terms of Microsoft creating these kind of fun social bots... uh, so there's Tay, which we can talk about as well, uh, which was a Twitter bot uh, that people would train to say things that could be a bit offensive. Um, and that's <laughs> what it was most known for. Right. But before that, there was a really interesting one, which is a precursor to some of the bots we'll talk about today, which was the How Old bot. Do mm-hmm. um, you remember that one, yeah, John? Yeah, sure. It uh, yeah, so- didn't quite get my age right, but it got a lot of people's <laughs> on Facebook's age right. Yeah, so it was kind of interesting, and I, and I think it shares a lot of similarities to the, the bots we'll talk about uh, today. But what it did was uh, you could upload a picture, you could take a selfie, or you could put in a celebrity picture. And it has a very small amount of AI, which would recognize a face in the image and then guess how old the person was. Um, and the interesting thing I thought about that, there are a few interesting things. So one, it's it's a very constrained problem for a bot, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's pretty simple. You give it an image, 
it spits back something and, and decorates, enhances the image uh, a little bit like an Instagram filter bot or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the other thing is like it, it's tapping into some emotional pull, which is people care about their age and how old they look. And you could imagine like changing the lighting in your picture and the angle and Photoshopping <laughs> to make you look a little younger. Um, and there's a lot of interesting social dynamics there where people were sharing it out and saying, oh, look, I look 25 mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. You know, you're actually like 40. And, and when it was wrong, it doesn't really matter that much if you're off by a few years. Um, and it's kind of funny and quirky. Right, right. There's also an iterative aspect to this. It's a, it's a type of kind of entertainment that encourages you to submit one thing, see what the result is, and then go back and submit something else and keep kind of conversing with the bot. So I was trying to think a second ago about why this would be a conversational bot rather than a fun web page that you would visit. But on reflection, I think it's actually kind of a, a natural application for a bot because you use it conversationally anyway, and you kind of like look for feedback and then you you work with it as it develops, you know, branches on, on your conversation. Yeah. And I, the other thing I like, um, a lot of bots that we've talked about so far in the podcast are very rules-based um, or, you know, filling out a workflow or filling out a form um, that you could, po- you know, probably do in, an, in another kind of app, um, but they're not as interactive, right? Mm-hmm. Like the user doesn't get to modify what the bot is doing. Whereas um, Tay was an extreme example of the users could really modify what the bot was doing for other users. Mm-hmm. But at least with this family of bots that we're going to talk about today, there's a lot of the the bot asking you a question, you responding, and then it, you know, riffing and doing something with your response. So let's begin by looking at the Murphy bot. This is a bot from Microsoft that's available on a lot of different platforms, uh, Skype, Kick, Slack, Telegram, and Facebook Messenger. And this is a bot where you, you give it input in the form of kind of a hypothetical question, like, what if Barack Obama was a cat? And generally, the, um, the, the hypotheticals involve like a noun and an unrelated noun or a noun and an adjective. And after you send this in, it churns for a second and it gives you back an image that combines the two terms that you submitted in the hypothetical. So one of the first queries that I put in was, what if Donald Trump was Oprah? And uh, it reached into, you know, an image search. It found a photo of Donald Trump and it found a photo of Oprah and, um, you know, in the mode of, of kind of a, a Snapchat filter that might merge, you know, features from two images, it kind of identifies Donald Trump's face and Oprah's face and overlays them onto each other in a really, you know, striking way. Yeah, I, I, I experimented with a co- that. My first instinct was to experiment with a couple of things like that, because the examples that it gives on the site are things like, what if, what if Charlie Chaplin were a baby? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What if uh, Abraham Lincoln had a very long beard? Mm-hmm, things like mm-hmm. that, right? Um, but I didn't realize right away that you could put it, it knew your face and it knew, um, I think the exam, I, I forget what platform I was using this on. Um, it might've been Slack, uh, but you could ask it. Um, I, I started just asking it other people's names, like uh, Amir, who works at Slack mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in their, uh, he's, he's their, uh, one of their big evangelists. And so I said, what if, what if Amir was the Incredible Hulk? <laughs> and, and, and it took, it knew who Amir was huh. and it took his face and it put it on the Incredible Hulk. So it's, it's, it's not just taking 
things in the general consumer knowledge graph mm-hmm. of f- celebrities, it also knows your network and their faces. Right. So it has a natural role in kind of a, a social environment like Facebook mm-hmm. Messenger. And one, one other thing I'll call out about most of these bots, um, I have noticed if you, you listed out a bunch of the platforms they're on, mm-hmm. it looks like they're not on Twitter. So we'll, we'll have to catch up with someone from Microsoft and, and ask. Uh, it, I'm wondering if maybe they're playing it a little safe right now. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this is a kind of bot where I think it does work well in Slack or uh, Messenger or these small group settings. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe they're just trying to keep it keep it a little bit uh, more stealthy for now well, before it goes out on Twitter. Yeah. And it's very easy to imagine that you can create some really offensive images this way. It gives you a response mechanism um, after the uh, the image comes out. It says, you know, submit the the smiley emoji for I like it, the, you know, crying emoji for uh, I don't like it and the the kind of startled emoji to report the image as offensive. So they, they're anticipating that, uh, you know, this could have unexpected outcomes, but I think it makes sense, yeah, that they're that they're trying it out in a, in some settings that are a little bit more private than Twitter first. Yeah, so I, I think it's interesting. They, they, the, the subtitle uh, is Meet Murphy, the robot with imagination. Um, and so I think it is a nice merging between text and images. Uh, and taking, there's a lot of work in deep learning on automatic image captioning and then gener- generative images based on, you know, show me a picture of, uh, you know, a red flower in a field, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. it will generate some image like that. Um, and so this is kind of, inter- you know, it's interpreting natural language and generating a picture, uh, usually by, you know, mixing, uh, mixing two faces. Right, right. Another fun Microsoft bot that involves pictures um, that you may have seen circulating is called Your Face. And um, the avatar here is kind of a, a grumpy guy with a mustache who's uh, glaring at you. You upload a photo of your face and it composes a little insult about you. So um, I sent in the photo that uh, I use as my Twitter avatar. And the response immediately was, You look like a bespectacled 40.6-year-old human male with a smile so wide you could shove an orange in it and a poorly thought-out beard. So um, I do wear glasses, so it got that right. I am smiling in the photo, and I do have a beard. So it it identified three features of my face pretty quickly. And I'll also say that the glasses that I'm wearing in that photo um, are... uh, Part of them are are kind of skin tone colored, so it's not even apparent to a human who's looking at it from a distance that they are glasses. Yeah. So for my face, I actually, uh, somehow the photo from my phone was rotated upside down. <laughs> it still understood what it was seeing. Uh, and it said, you're a visually challenged 31.7 year old man. Uh, so I also, I, I, I just recently got glasses. So that, uh, makes me feel really, uh, really, uh, really good about myself so it's 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 funny i think it, it most of the time it it does insult uh people yeah right? yeah um the one in, in in a venture beat article where they talk about the bot it, somebody's wearing a horse head in it and it says why would you send me a person standing next to a horse <laughs> um and and so that's the other thing i noticed that was interesting like i put in a photo of a celebrity uh-huh. and i think it was don draper um you know, from Mad Men or something. And it said, 
you look kind of like John Hamm. <laughs> and <laughs> interesting. So it's, 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 it, it's nice that it has a little bit of intelligence, a little bit of a knowledge graph behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. By the way, I just uploaded an image of Donald Trump. Um, and uh, the response from the bot is, you're a human man. You're about 73.5. You seem awfully angry about it. So... Um, yeah, it's okay. That's probably accurate. Yeah. It has some, uh, some reasonably sophisticated emotion detection, uh, going on. Now, this is something that's been around for a while. There's been, you know, software that can look at an image or a video feed and kind of figure out whether you're smiling or laughing or, or look unhappy or whatever. Um, but there's something really interesting here in the way that it's able to combine an appreciation of facial features and the text generation that creates kind of a, a joke. Mm-hmm. I, I think the other thing that's interesting um, about these bots is that you can run them on Skype. And so I use Skype quite a bit. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't jump out at me as a place where I would use a lot of bots. Um, but it's interesting to kick the tires mm-hmm. uh, on a bot. It's very easy to get started using a Skype bot. Um, and so this is actually my first introduction to using bots on Skype. Interesting. So for the third Microsoft bot, uh, it's actually only available on Skype. And this is a summarizer bot. And it's kind of interesting. I think there was a company that was acquired a few years back by Yahoo, where basically all they did, I think, was summarize articles Mm -hmm. for you, uh, create a short summary. Um, And that's basically the purpose of this bot. So you install it in Skype, and then when you post a link uh, to the bot, it'll process it, and then it will return a short TLDR summary of the article. Um, so I just pasted in one, which was uh, from The Verge. It was in a, a summary of the iPhone 7 announcement and features. Uh, so it was an article on that, and I put it in the summarizer bot, and it gave a pretty short uh, that accurate summary. Uh, Apple has officially announced the iPhone 7. Uh, What's entirely new is the phone's water resistance. uh, And the new phone may look similar to other models, but instead it has uh, a glossy mirror design, et cetera, et cetera. So it it kind of gets uh, a lot of the features. I think it it left out maybe some of the more important things like the new earphones Uh and uh things like that. Things that a human reader would have recognized are important based on, you know, historical general sort of knowledge. Yeah. So it's not, you know, it's probably only really operating from the text you give it in the article. It doesn't, I think have deep, really deep understanding. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you need something that's going to create a snippet for a website or something, I think this, this does a pretty reasonable job. Yeah. I put in a couple of articles. Um, I I started with uh, an article from the New York times that was just on the front page. When I happened to look, that's a profile of Brad Pitt kind of a what has he been up to type of profile. Uh, and the summarized bot actually didn't do a stupendous job with it. It presented a lot of, uh, you know, text extracted from the image captions and the deck on the article, which is the kind of, you know, the, the summary subheadline kind of thing at the top. So it's probably looking a lot at the context within the page. Um, and that's supported by uh, the next one that I put in, which was the Wikipedia article on San Francisco did a nice job of summarizing that one. But what makes sense there is that, you know, a a Wikipedia article, like a straight, you know, news article, like the Apple announcement that you put in, 
is going to have a particular kind of structure to it, where the most important stuff is at the top, kind of summarizing the rest of it, and then you go into details down below. Whereas a magazine article, like the kind of Brad Pitt, what is he up to profile, is going to have a totally different structure. You know, it'll open with a, uh, a little anecdote that kind of sets the scene, and then it'll go into details and kind of build up as it goes. So it, it makes sense that a summarizer bot would do a nice job with a breaking news item about the iPhone announcement and with a Wikipedia article and not necessarily with a magazine article. Yeah, I I, I get the feeling, to be fair, this is, um, this is mostly a test prototype bot to show people the, uh, the kind of thing they could do on the bot platform. Mm-hmm. And I think when you do these kinds of bots or examples, you want something that's pretty self-contained and well and clear as to what the purpose of the bot is. So I give it a link. It gives me a summary. Mm-hmm. Um, it reminds me of on Twitter, there was a bot, uh, actually a friend of mine built this bot, uh, William Morgan. He used to work at Twitter and he built this on the side <laughs> uh, as kind of a joke. Uh, it was called Magic Picks, uh, which is a play on a bot that they had built internally called Magic Rex that would give mm-hmm. you, I think, recommended stories mm-hmm. uh, via DM. Uh, so this bot was listening in to conversations and you would, uh, it would occasionally uh, send you a snarky picture, which was an interpretation of something you said on Twitter. Hmm. Um, and it was actually wiring in, I think, to Bing search yeah, yeah. Uh, to do it. So anyway, I think um, that's the, the flavor of most of these bots is it's taking some interesting uh, piece of machine learning and wrapping it in a bot and, 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 it, and it reacts to user input. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think they really grow on you in the conversational interface because you, you do have this kind of back and forth that you develop with the bot and it becomes really endearing and really enjoyable. Yeah. And I think, I think it's nice. These feel like tools for creating something as opposed to a lot of bots out there feel like just a way to navigate somebody else's system. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Whereas these feel like there isn't really a work purpose for most of these. Yeah. You're, you're just playing around. Yeah. And so at this stage of bots, I think there's a lot of value to building things that people can play with. Yeah. Standalone enjoyment. All right. Well, that takes care of it for Bot of the Week and this episode of the O'Reilly Bots podcast. If you're interested in learning more about bots, if you're thinking about building bots, if you're building bots, you definitely want to come to O'Reilly Bot Day on October 19th in San Francisco. Pete and I have put together a program that I think is going to be really fantastic. And for more information on that, visit O'Reilly.com slash bots. Thanks for joining us on O'Reilly Bots. We'll see you next week. I'm John Bruner. And I'm Pete Skamrock. Bye.